So fast forward to 2019, Organica went from bidding on three projects a month to 30 projects a month. They went from about a dozen reference facilities to over a hundred reference facilities, wastewater treatment plants that were built, and they didn't add any, any engineering overhead. Happy holidays and welcome back to the Clean Techies podcast, where we interview the top climate tech founders and investors to share their stories, advice, and lessons when it comes to building and investing in climate. Today, Somail and I had the chance to speak with Adam Tank, the co-founder and CCO at Transcend Infrastructure. They are a generative AI infrastructure design platform, and their initial focus is on the water infrastructure space. Using their platform, you can quickly iterate design ideas in the water infrastructure space. This helps engineers to get 30% designs in hours instead of months. This allows them to try out more innovative designs that are more efficient and often more resilient. Currently, engineers are very stretched, and this offers them a lot of optionality with the designs rather than being stretched for time to hit deadlines and focused on the same old, same old. Another huge problem is, during the development of these projects, demand and need can drastically shift, causing design change needs. Their, their platform helps you to make those iterations quickly on the fly. This is a really fascinating and key example of how AI can help the climate fight. Enjoy this episode with Adam after a word from our sponsors. Hey there. Are you building a climate tech business and looking for very specialized talent? Consider reaching out to our sponsors, NextWave Partners. NextWave are experts in talent acquisition, recruitment, and retention across the climate tech, renewables, and ESG spaces globally. So if your team is growing or you're looking to make a career change yourself, feel free to reach out to NextWave at next-wavepartners.com or reach out to one of their consultants directly via their LinkedIn page. All right. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Adam? Hey, thanks, Alice. Doing well. Super, super excited to have you on. Obviously, we had a chance to, to speak prior to the show, so I got a bit of uh, the inside baseball, and I am very excited to have this. So let's just kind of start with, give us a, a quick story about how you ended up getting into the space and, and what you're doing today. I never knew I would become so obsessed with water in my life, would have absolutely no idea. I didn't come from a family of water professionals. I didn't even come from a family of business professionals. So being involved in water and water startups is like the furthest thing from my radar. But as I got into my career after undergrad, I was actually a microbiology degree. I came a uh, microbiology major. I came to find that the absence or presence of water in a bunch of different environments, in my case, it was food manufacturing, but in, in industrial settings, in municipal settings, in city settings, makes a huge difference for the quality of life and the quality of products. And so I stumbled into the water industry full-time after graduate school and ended up founding a couple of startups after being an investor in the space with General Electric and have never looked back. I find, I find water fascinating. I find it fascinating from a technology point of view, a policy point of view. Um, and really, I wake up every day knowing that we're working on problems that people around the world deal with every day. So it's something exciting that I love. I love very much. I'd like to I'd like to understand more when you say you stumbled into the water space. Can you tell me more about that exactly? How, how did that happen? There's a lot of these kind of uh, stories that usually people gloss over because they think they're boring, but they're actually quite fascinating. Sure, sure. So I started my career as a food quality engineer in a Fortune 500, and so I was working for a company called General Mills, which makes Cheerios, Yoplait yogurt, Pillsbury stuff. I mean, they they're massive. I was working in a manufacturing plant. And in some, some days I was literally knee deep in yogurt. We'd have a, you know, multi thousand gallon yogurt tank below 
and we were dealing with how to clean it up. Well, of course, not only manufacturing yogurt takes a lot of water and liquid, but cleaning takes a lot of water too. And it's sort of counterintuitive. You would think that, you know, the more frequently you clean, the safer that our food ends up being. But it's in some cases actually the opposite. When you don't bring water into these environments, bacteria can't grow. So I came to find that the absence or presence of water was one of the biggest factors in determining the quality and safety of the food that we were making. And I worked there for a couple of years and really ended up hating it and decided that I wanted to live internationally and I wanted to work for a smaller business. So I ended up moving to Brazil and I lived in Rio for just over a year. And I worked for a small food manufacturing company there. And when I came back to the States to help them sell their products, I ended up going to graduate school to get an MBA. And over the course of my MBA, I got involved with GE Water and an internship. And that was sort of my first like full dive into water as a career. And I've never looked back. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode. If you made it this far, it's likely that you're enjoying the show. So I wanted to ask your help. If you're enjoying it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share with somebody in the same industry who might find this interesting. And if you're interested in getting summaries of these episodes, go subscribe to our newsletter that comes out on LinkedIn and Substack. Links can be found in the description. Thanks for your help in growing the reach of this show. So I was an investor for GE after graduate school in early stage water technologies. And then I think Silas, as we spoke about, part of my role there too was talking to some of the, the US's largest water utilities and understanding their pain points. And I'm not going to bore you with statistics, but it's shocking to me and was then and still is now that over 30% of the water that's treated for consumption in either our homes or our businesses is lost to the environment between the treatment plant and where it's consumed. So when we talk about, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's just so many, when you say things like this, it's usually just kind of uh, mind-blowing to me that like there's so many things that are just wasted, especially if you think about how much water or electricity we consume. And then you talk about the waste, you're like, well, why are we worried about doing all these things when we could just not waste? So <laughs> um, but no, this is this is fascinating. I, I wanted to, sorry to jump in a little bit, but I wanted to understand why, you know, why go from being an investor to starting a company, right? That's like, a, that's very difficult. I want to understand the the reasoning behind that because you know, building a company is not easy. And even if you haven't done it yet, you still know that everybody knows that. Um, so can you talk about that and, and why you decided to become an entrepreneur? My first foray into entrepreneurship was when I was living in Brazil, I was working in this, in this food manufacturing plant and I would wake up at 6am, hop on a bus and then come back at 6pm at night. And I lived right by the most, some of the most beautiful beaches on the planet. And I wasn't spending any time at these beaches. And that was frustrating. And I also came across Tim Ferriss's four hour work week that same time. And I read that book and thought, wow, if I can retire on a beach at, you know, 23, that my life is made. I'm going to try the four hour work week thing. So on nights and weekends, I would work on a, a couple side hustles, coding websites, working on affiliate marketing programs, doing the entrepreneurial thing. And I absolutely loved it, but I failed miserably. I definitely did not have a four hour work week as the book, uh, quote unquote promised. But I it scratched that itch enough to know that whatever I did at some point in the future, after I paid back grad school loans, I would want to get into small business and entrepreneurship. 
And so I mentioned that I was doing investments on behalf of GE Ventures. I was working with some of the largest water utilities in the nation. And at that time, the struggle was that all this water was being lost to the environment, but they didn't know what to do about it in terms of actually fixing these leaks. A lot of people can find leaks, but quite frankly, leaks are cheap because water is cheap, unfortunately. So we lose 30%. Eh, whatever. We can always pump more. We can always produce more. That's changing, but that's still sort of the mindset today. But the problem is that when a pipe does burst and you have to shut off streets or shut off water to businesses and you have to dig up streets and repair these pipes, it takes a ton of time and money. So the the director of innovation at the largest water utility in the U.S. was literally slamming his, slamming his hand on the table saying, I need a robot that can fly through my pipes and fix them from the inside. And I thought, oh, that's a cool idea. Like if I ever want to scratch my entrepreneurial itch, maybe I'll do something with that. Well, turns out six months later, GE launched an internal Shark Tank style competition where they took thousands of ideas from anyone inside the company. And then the person that ended up competing and winning got to spin a business out and run it as a venture-backed startup in Silicon Valley. I ended up winning that competition. And so I built this robotic device that would be inserted into drinking water pipelines, detect leaks, and then patch them from the inside. So that was my first like true real startup experience, aside from these little side hustles in Rio, um, raising venture capital money and building this robotics company. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there. Could you give us that Shark Tank pitch? Could, could we get the Shark Tank pitch to transcend? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. So the Shark Tank pitch, um, and so that was the robotics business. It effectively was... We lose 30% of water due to leaks in pipes. When we have to fix these leaks, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, not to mention all of the other issues around permitting and construction and safety and all these things. So if we can insert a, a robot through the pipes that fix them, right? you save all this money, all this time, and you patch all these leaks, which ultimately helps us conserve water. I mean, that was really it. So um, how does Transcend do that? So that was a previous company. Oh, so th yeah. So that one got that that company was acquired in 2019. And then that's when I decided to found Transcend. Wow. So the reason that Transcend exists and the reason that I got excited to be a co-founder of this business was that we lose 30 percent of water due to leaks because our infrastructure sucks. It's in horrible shape. And it's not just water, by the way. It's water, wastewater, uh, power, roads. All these systems, what we call critical infrastructure, all of them are in really, really bad shape. And we believe at Transcend, the core to solving this problem is in focusing on the upfront conceptual design work and the preliminary design work. Before this stuff is ever built, we should be focused on the outcomes we're trying to achieve rather than building the same stuff we've built for the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that we know is going to break, that we know we're going to have to maintain, that we know is going to cause all kinds of problems. If we can evaluate more options up front in this process and use automated software to do the design work like what Transcend has, we're going to build the infrastructure of the future that our planet needs. We wanted to take a quick break to tell you about another climate tech podcast. Well, literally. Ryan Grant Little hosts a podcast called Another Climate Tech Podcast, where he interviews climate tech founders and VCs, which, as I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you will love. So we highly recommend checking them out. The link will be in the description to this episode. Now back to the show. So if I'm, I just want to make sure I'm understanding it properly. So I'm looking to build water infrastructure and transcend would help me design that. Correct. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. And so what kind of users are on the platform? Is it the engineering firms that are the primary users or who's on it? 
Yeah, so we have had over 20,000 designs run, really projects run in the tool in over 70 countries to date. And across those countries and users, about 40% are engineering consultants, as you just mentioned. Another 30 to 40% are the asset owners themselves. So that could be a water or wastewater utility or a power utility. And then we have another smaller percentage, maybe 20% that are equipment suppliers that provide equipment into these projects. Mm-hmm. Got it. So what, one thing I want to jump in with, can you, can you explain for people who aren't familiar with the designing process of, you know, infrastructure projects, like what does it look like? There's a lot of, a couple of major engineering terms. People are getting to certain percentage designs before, you know, uh, an engineer has to sign off on everything. Can you talk about that process and what it looks like before Transcend and what it yes. looks like after Transcend? Definitely. So we'll use the example of a wastewater treatment plant because it's what I know and to some extent love most. Today, if you want to build a new wastewater treatment plant from scratch, which is happening in many parts of the world outside of North America, developing countries specifically, if you want to build one from scratch, I mean, at a minimum, you're looking at a three-year process. This could take six years, seven years, up to 10 years. In the U.S., these often take five, six, seven years if you are working with existing assets and you want to, you know, build build uh, like an expansion as an example on a treatment plant. But let's take the example of a new build. So you have a six-year process. What's happening over the course of those six years? Well, the first ah, probably one to three years are focused on engineering work and design work. So you're doing studies of the site. You're doing assessments of what the wastewater coming in is going to look like, how much wastewater is going to be coming in. You're looking at the type of wastewater it is. And what you're doing is that you're attempting to evaluate the outcome you're trying to achieve by building this treatment plant at the end of this 10 years. So let's take the first, as you mentioned, Silas, you have basically, it's called a 0%, your very starting point of a project. And you move towards 30% completion of the design work, which is typically the first like stage, if you will, a zero to 30% design. You are going to be completing things like really sophisticated process modeling that a wastewater process engineer will do. You're going to be looking at the mechanical equipment required to be put on site to treat the wastewater. And you're going to be looking at some of the civil aspects. So how big are these tanks? How big is this equipment? Where does it actually fit on the site? How do we arrange these buildings in a way that makes sense for the topography of the site or the hydraulics of the site? Once that's done, you then move to effectively 60% design where you're doing things more like maybe some basic level controls and instrumentation of the facility. You might be doing some piping work. So you're gonna be designing things in AutoCAD um, or maybe using Revit as an example. And then you probably move to a 90% design. So you're almost completed. And then finally, you complete this project. The challenge with all of this is that, as I mentioned, you know, you're looking at six years from that 0% design all the way through construction, is that things inevitably change. You have ideas about what you want to build in year one, but two, three years down the road, imagine that you live in a city like, I don't know, let's say a city in North Texas, where Tesla decides they want to build their next giant facility outside of your town. Massive consumer of water. It's going to bring a ton of people into the area. It's going to create a lot more water challenges and wastewater treatment issues. So everything you designed in years one through three now has to be completely redone. 
you're starting all over from scratch. So you can imagine how troublesome it is for cities to do this on a somewhat frequent basis when they're doing what they call their master planning. So that's current state. Introduce a tool like Transcend. You start at the 0% design phase and you say, what outcomes am I trying to achieve by designing a wastewater treatment plant? And not only is it making sure that the water is of decent quality, that it can be reused or recycled or sent back to the environment, but you might also be looking at things like the carbon impact of that treatment plant. You're looking at the site evaluation. So how much space does this take up? How much land do we actually need to procure in order to build this thing? And you're trying to make decisions that are in the best interest of the population. Using a tool like ours, you can do this in hours. So this assessment process that used to take six months, a year, 18 months, you now get the basic preliminary design work out of the way early. And instead, you can spend your time on evaluations and looking at options and making the best decisions for that plant. So a process that took a year to 18 months now takes three, three to six. And instead of spending time drawing lines around on a screen, because the computer's now doing it, you're spending time making smart decisions about what that infrastructure needs to do and what it needs to look like. Mm -hmm. So in, in essence, you're able to massively shave down the, the upfront time, which obviously saves money, gets the project built faster. But can you talk about the other benefits, right? Like you, you, you talk about the infrastructure itself is, is just bad. Is there a reason for that? You know, is it, is it because people don't have time to, to try out their, their ideas? They're just strapped for time. Like why, why, what are the other benefits to using, using Transcend? Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing, Silas, is that we have a lot of really smart engineers in the world that are not being creative and innovative about the work that they're doing because they just don't have the time and budget to do it. And in some cases, the utilities, the ones that are going to be the owners of this infrastructure, also don't have an appreciation for what else exists that they should be interested in. And an engineering consultant isn't going to propose some radical new innovative technology that you know, may be used regularly with great success in other parts of the world if they don't have the time and budget to do it. So in cases where engineering consultants or asset owners are using our tools, we're seeing much more creative infrastructure being built that takes into account the total life cycle cost of the asset. So reducing maintenance costs over time, reducing energy costs over time, reducing con chemical consumption costs over time. And we're seeing infrastructure that ultimately it was what we call resilient. So it's better off in the face of climate change. It's better off in the face of population change. It's better in the face of regulatory change. And so you're building infrastructure that, you know, you don't immediately need to start maintaining the second that it's, that it's put into the ground, which is what we've been building for the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is, um, this is really interesting. I think that it's, it's something to think about. I don't, this is not the scope of today's conversation, but generally speaking, when you have things become pretty kind of commoditized of when it comes to infrastructure, you don't necessarily have innovation because there's a, there's a lack of incentive, right? The, the investors don't, they're not VC investors, right? They're infrastructure, private equity people. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel because they don't want their bridge to fall down or something. Right? <laughs> Correct. So, yep. um, it's a very important to have those things lined up properly, but, um, I guess, you know, I'd be kind of curious to understand the process of getting going. Like, how, can you tell us a story about how did you, how did you guys start from this? Cause this is, you know, if you're doing this now, you must've been pretty early on the generative AI stuff. So you talk about how you actually got going, how you built the MVP. What's the story there? 
These so this software was built inside of a wastewater treatment company called Organica Water. And I doubt any listeners are going to know who Organica is. And it's it's really interesting interesting as to why they they wouldn't have heard of them. And that's because Organica has built wastewater treatment plants everywhere except North America. And we can get into why that's the case. But Organica's story is quite fascinating because have, have, I don't know if either of you have been to a wastewater treatment plant. You can imagine they smell. <laughs> and you can imagine that they don't look very pretty. So it's basically a giant set of concrete that, that stinks. And nobody wants to live close to one. So you're building these massive, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50, $100 million projects, 20 miles outside of an urban core. So you have to pump all this wastewater out. And then if you want to treat it and reuse it, you have to pump all the clean water back in. So it's, it's just, it's, it's horrifically inefficient across basically every measure you can possibly provide for a project like this. Organica's idea was that there are ways to treat wastewater that don't stink. And there are ways to make these things not look like giant concrete, disgusting places. So Organica builds wastewater treatment plants that look like botanical gardens. They're absolutely beautiful. They look like greenhouses. And you, you can literally tour them and you're happy to be there. You're looking at plants. You're looking at, you know, skylights. It's gorgeous. The challenge was, and back to what we had discussed earlier around innovation, is that when a company like Organica comes along and says, hey, we can build you a wastewater treatment plant that looks pretty, that people want to live near, that doesn't smell. Most of the time, there's it's just pure disbelief that there's no way this can this can be done. Well, at the time, 2012, Organica was, you know, trying to bid on these projects and were spending hundreds or close to a thousand hours worth of design work just to bid on projects because people wanted to see the proof that these things actually worked and that, and that they wanted to compare them to conventional treatment plants. And Ari, the CEO of Organica in 2012 was like, I can't afford to hire an army of engineers to do all this basically proof work to bid on projects. And so I'm bottlenecked in my, in, in being able to grow this business. I can only bid on maybe three projects a month. So he decided to start automating the conceptual design of these treatment plants in 2012. So he sat his wastewater engineers down and brought in computer programmers and said, don't come out of this room until you've mapped every single decision that goes into building, designing and building a wastewater treatment plant. And we're going to turn that into computer code. So fast forward to 2019, Organica went from bidding on three projects a month to 30 projects a month. They went from about a dozen reference facilities to over a hundred reference facilities, wastewater treatment plants that were built. And they didn't add any, any engineering overhead. So in 2019, Ari said and called me and said, hey, I think there's a much bigger opportunity here to spin this software out independent of Organica and run it as a standalone business because this can help engineering consultants, it can help utilities, and it can be so much more valuable outside of this, you know, this little wastewater treatment company. So that was the genesis of the tool. Can I ask how you found yourself, just like the story behind how you found yourself with the company? Because obviously now we know the background of it too. Yeah. So I mentioned I used to work at GE Water. There was a guy working at Organica that I had worked with previously who Got knew it. I had done the startup thing before with the robotics business and told Ari, like, you have to get in touch with this guy because he'll be a good one to help get this company off the ground. 
what was the process of verifying that that was the company you wanted to work towards? Like the actual mechanics of like, okay, like this, this is someone I don't know, but they're doing something pretty cool. How do you decide to change your role, your life and work there? I love, I love that question. I, I was at a conference in late 2018 where the CEO of Brown and Caldwell was speaking. That's a pretty large water wastewater engineering consultancy here in the U S and you know, Ari had approached me and told me this idea and I was really trying to decide what I wanted to do next. And the CEO Brown and Caldwell, Rich said, I am, I am actively looking for tools that can help us do more work in less time. That is my number one priority for this business right now. And that spoke to me. That's like a sign from whoever spirit you believe in that you should probably go on a particular path. And so I took that, I took that as a sign and decided to make the leap then. But before I did, I went and I interviewed the existing employees that were planning to join Transcend from Organica. And I went and talked to uh, the first client of what would become Transcend, which is Black and Beach. And I said, like, is this the real deal? I've heard about, I mean, AI was a buzzword in like 2012, 2013, when I was looking at these investments in water companies. And as I talked to more people, I, I found out that it in fact was true because it was, it was built, it was like a tailor-made solution, purpose-built to do exactly what Ari told me the software could do. And they've been doing it for like seven or eight years at that point. So it was a pretty easy decision to make once I heard the, you know, CEO of one of the largest engineering consultancies and then knew that the product actually worked. I was like, all right, this is, this is a no-brainer. So you basically diligenced your own potential job. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I, I honestly, it, it's very fortunate that you had that opportunity. I feel like we've seen this piece of advice circulating. Uh, and I think honestly, the nuance is how do you do it? Because how do you like just randomly go to one of their customers, potential customers and talk to them? And it's not always clear or easy, but you had that opportunity and you so you could bet it. So that's, that's really, really good for you. Really happy to hear that. Um, look, I think the most, I think the most relevant thing about this is the industry itself that I'm sure as you recognize water, people recognize it's a challenge. They kind of understand that it's related to climate, but the actual trends and where the industry is going for water infrastructure and the kinds of things that are needed aren't, I feel like common knowledge. So can you just talk about like what you see as the future of the water infrastructure industry and the kinds of things you're paying attention to? You bet. The... It's, we have a really interesting viewpoint because we work globally with water utilities, engineering consultants, et cetera. And so we see sort of what's going on in different pockets of the world and how they're thinking about water wastewater. And I'll say that, you know, the quote, and I'm not sure who it's attributed to at this point, but that the future is here, just not evenly distributed, is 100% true in water and wastewater, definitely. So I'll give you a simple example. We work with a lot of the water utilities in the United Kingdom. And the regulating body of those water utilities has said, you have to be carbon neutral by 2030. It's a mandate. In the US, if you go talk to uh, your local water wastewater utility leader and you ask them what their plans are for carbon neutrality, they're probably gonna laugh you out of the room. That is not a conversation anyone is having today. And what the UK utilities are doing to go down this path of carbon neutrality is effectively the opposite of what we're doing here in the US. And I won't get too technical, but there's a way that you can treat wastewater 
and one of there's many ways you can treat wastewater, but one of those ways is by something called a trickling filter, which is exactly what you would imagine. Wastewater comes in and it trickles down with gravity through a series of filters and it becomes cleaner on the back end. The UK utilities are actually now putting more of those in place because you don't have to use a ton of energy to pump all the wastewater. It's literally gravity trickled. Gravity trickles. It trickles using gravity. In the US, we're ripping out trickling filters in favor of treatment systems that require more energy, like literally two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. What's the main reason they're, they're doing that? I mean, I'm assuming there's probably some reason they're doing that. Yes. Um, in some cases, I mean, there are more advanced processes than trickling filters that either can treat the water to a better quality without the need for subsequent treatment processes, or you can do it in a much more compact site. So in the U.S., where mm -hmm. site is a huge constraint or, or where um, sites may be a big constraint, depending on where you are, what city that you live in, um, you're using smaller footprint treatment systems. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see what's going on relative to some of this decision making. So what I believe is the future of the water wastewater industry is a bigger focus on being proactive in the design process to building things that, again, we don't have to immediately start repairing the second that they're built. Automation in terms of operations and maintenance is still in its infancy. If you go and talk to your local water wastewater utility, they're probably still running shifts 24 seven. They probably don't have a lot of automation in the plants. You're probably still seeing people do a, lot, a ton of stuff manually. Like it's literally the wild west. Connectivity to your assets, even knowing where your assets are, what assets you even have, that's a huge struggle. So I think understanding where your assets are, getting those mapped, digitizing everything is a huge trend. Um, and then I also think like, I think we as consumers also are going to be more active in this process. We're hearing about things like forever chemicals, PFAS in the media. We're hearing about you know, water leaks, water main breaks. We're seeing the effects of our infrastructure crumbling. All these sinkholes, like I, I feel like I see a new sinkhole news, piece of news coming out like every day. And I see these cars like crumbling or like parking garages falling in and stuff. And it's largely due to the fact that water's leaking underground. We don't know where it is. So we as consumers are going to start demanding more from the regulators, from the utilities. And I think that's also going to be a big driver for innovation in the sector. I think the whole digitizing process going through digital twins, the idea of simulation modeling, it's all caught fire recently, especially as AI technology is kind of seemingly more complex and capable. How good those, but the simulations have been around, right? Especially in engineering, the simulations have always been there. But I think the point that you mentioned about the public demand, I think there's a lot more um, visibility for the public in terms of transparency. Um, and I think even like in New York City, for example, where we are, like I was walking past, I think, a, a, a mobile Wi-Fi charging station or I could don't. And it was for phones. But I, I looked at that and I was like, this is this is allowed. Like, this is what we're doing now. Um, <laughs> I think things are just getting a lot more sophisticated and the hard to abate sectors like construction um, and just generally lagging industries, lagging in the sense that it's not software. <laughs> mm. um, I definitely don't get as much attention, but I think people are starting to realize, especially founders, how much potential there is for B2B software, AI, and automation in these spaces. So I just wanted to, I, I'm a huge fan of the built environment, construction tech, infrastructure, also because I think government is a legitimate buyer in this space. And so there's potentially tailwinds that are more 
recession proof and sustainable than other industries. Um, I wanted to ask your opinion on that really quick before we close out. I, I completely agree. 100%. I think if you're looking for a, a career, speaking about startups and technology, but if you're looking for a long-term career that is more or less recession proof, that needs help that you're going to feel good about at the end of the day working in, looking at critical infrastructure is the place to be. So that's water, power, transit, even telecommunications now, multi-residential buildings, healthcare. These are all things that are really fundamentally broken, in my opinion, and we need all the technology and smart minds we can get. Very cool. All right. Well, so as we wrap out, I just want to ask if you were to talk to yourself right as you were diligencing those customers and considering joining the company, <laughs> what are you know three pieces of advice you provide yourself as a founder? Oof. So one is it's all about the people you bring onto the team. You can pretty much get technology to do whatever you want it to do, especially software. It's much harder to find the right team to help you build a business. So build the team and like Silas, obviously in his day job, quote unquote, understands the, you know, how important this is and how hard it is to find good people. So that would be the first thing I would say. The second one is remind yourself every day and remind your company and your customers why you do what you do. When you have a common understanding of why your company exists and why the work you do is important, it makes everything else so much easier. It makes sales easier. It makes onboarding easier. It makes your culture of the company a lot easier. That's a really critical thing. And then the third one is just be passionately curious. I've been in the water industry for over 15 years. And sometimes we think we know the answers, but that shouldn't cloud our ability to listen to our customers, develop a real understanding of their needs, try to put yourself in their shoes, understand where they're coming from, and learn something new every day. Because none of us are above being curious and learning something new. Like we'll never be able to learn everything that we need to know about even water. And you can go as niche as you want. There's still no way you're going to learn it all. So every day, be curious. Yeah, I think curiosity is a super important one. There's a lot of things that stem from curiosity, even in the talent space, right? Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm a big fan of trying to tell young people to be more... Uh, intentional about how they build their skills and apply for jobs and run you know, kind of just run their life right because you can't all of these ideas of the future of work where you know nobody will be an employee everybody will be a contractor all these types of things none of these like future ideas will ever ever come to fruition unless everybody takes more autonomy and more ownership over their life right so uh, the curiosity thing i think is the the beginning to that but um, it's especially easy when you have ADHD to, to be curious about things. <laughs> so it's a little easier for me. But but anyways, I appreciate I appreciate you you coming on. This has been a pleasure. I, I am genuinely fascinated by plays like this where you can, you know, there's a lot of buzz and stuff going on about AI and everybody's doing something about it. And the majority of it just seems like total BS. But when you see something like this where, okay, we have generative AI, not just to make, uh, you know, a cool image that I can share with my blog post, which is nice, but you can do something that's really substantially helping the engineers to make more, you know, more designs, better designs and have more time to do it. I am really curious at some point to, to explore maybe another time with you the, the idea that if you can take, uh, if you can reduce the amount of time to design something, you can get people to be more creative. I think this is a really interesting idea that could probably, probably be applied to many things in climate and maybe even ways that people aren't thinking about where, 
something may not seem like a climate tech, but maybe if people have more time to think about the challenges they're working on, they could find ways to make it more circular or something of that nature or less waste, right, in general. So, um, but anyways, appreciate you coming on. Any kind of final thoughts of people? Where can they reach you? Calls to action. I'd say first, thanks, thank you for having me. I also really enjoyed the discussion um, and appreciate your curiosity and interest in this particular sector of the world. Uh, Adam Tank, you can find me on LinkedIn, almost every major social platform. Um, and then adamtank.com is my personal website. And then Transcend is Transcend Infra, like Transcend Infrastructure. So transcendinfra.com. We're always hiring. So please reach out if this is of interest to you. And even if it's not Transcend, I'll do my best to help you figure out a path in, in the climate tech, clean tech industry. Awesome. We need more of that. Thanks so much, Adam. Really appreciate you coming on. Great. Of course. Thanks.